you know, once he was cross-examined and once you look at the other evidence involved, especially his conduct after the murder. So a loving, caring brother who just accidentally killed his sibling is not going to just abandon him, run away, not call for help, and really care less about what happened to him and allow him to bleed out and die in a park for five to 10 minutes. Welcome to Crime News Insider. This is Jorge Del Portillo. And with us, as always, is Lori Hoff. How are you doing, Lori? Jorge, I've missed you. I know. It's been a while. It's been too long. But, you know, we have been doing our actual jobs of fighting crime and doing justice. So I know, I know our, but actually, I will tell you that my, our listeners have been saying that we needed to do another episode. So to that end, here we are. Yes. I was just told the other day by my cousin who listens <laughs> saying, Hey, have you not put out an episode? I'm like, no, we have not. We've been very busy. Uh, so, uh, and to highlight some of our busy work, it's not just us that are busy. Our right. fellow colleagues are busy. Uh, today we're going to talk about the case of people versus Adam Thomas. So on July 21st, 2023, 20-year-old Adam Thomas of Sacramento was found guilty of first-degree murder for the death of his brother, Trenton Thomas. And this trial received a lot of publicity, especially here in San Diego, but throughout California and the, and the nation. And this was prosecuted by our very own Deputy District Attorney, Christina Eastman of the San Diego DA's office. So with that, we will bring on Christina Eastman. Christina, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Jorge? I'm good. It's always nice to have someone that I inspired and shepherd and mentored throughout this office. And I'm going to take credit for all of your work. Oh, yeah. Great. That sounds just about <laughs> like your personality. Yes. So Christina and I worked together for several years, uh, over six years, I think, in, in the narcotics unit. And now she um, was a prosecutor for this homicide trial. So Christina, can you give us a brief overview of the facts of this case? Sure. Uh, so this was a case where, like you said, Adam Thomas um, ended up being convicted of killing his brother, Trenton Thomas. Uh, Trenton was the older brother between the two of them. They're about two years apart. Trenton, the victim uh, at the time, had been living in a sober living home down here in San Diego. So the family is originally from Sacramento, Mom, dad, um, the rest of the siblings all live up in the Sacramento area. Um, but Trenton had struggled, like many people do, with um, substance abuse issues, specifically relating to opiates and fentanyl. He was battling that for sure. Um, he had been down in the sober living home for about a month and was clean and sober, which was, was great for him and his family. Adam was up in Sacramento and um, he was having quite a, a few issues and ended up getting fired from his job. And right after he got fired from his job, he decided to go down to San Diego under the guise essentially of visiting uh, Trenton, his brother for Trenton's birthday. Mm. And he told his parents that he was going to give him a birthday gift and said that he was going to buy him a BMX bike for his birthday. So he kind of talked to his parents and planned this trip a little bit, um, but went down there a little unexpectedly based on some of the, the text messages that we found. By himself. By himself. Yeah. And, and prior to going down to San Diego, he had purchased back in uh, July, the murder occurred in August. And in July, he bought a crossbow 
on Amazon and had it shipped to his house and he got arrows or what the technical term is bolts, but it's easier to call it arrows and arrowheads. And he loaded all of that into the trunk of his car, preloaded it, put hunting arrowheads on and then went down to uh, San Diego to quote unquote, visit his brother. That crossbones later used to murder his brother. And so he had loaded that murder weapon up in the car before he even had it down, did not tell his parents or his family about the crossbow whatsoever. They had no idea. Um, he said he was also going to look at some colleges on the way down. And so he kind of took a, a weird route down, went by the coast a little bit, and then ended up in San Diego where he rented an Airbnb in Escondido. Then later that evening, he went and picked up his brother Trenton from the Silver Living Home, uh, took him out to dinner in the PB area, and then took him to this park in City Heights and told his brother that he had a surprise for him took Trent into this really dark alley uh, behind the park, brought his car around, which had the murder weapon, the crossbow in it. Then there was about a 15 minute time period where the two of them talked. Uh, we don't know what they said. The, there's no, there's some surveillance video, but there's no audio on it. And um, after about 15 minutes, some pacing back and forth, some very odd behavior on the part of um, Adam, Adam got the crossbow out of his trunk and he took the safety off. He walked up to his brother and he shot him in the head. And what happened after he shot him in the head or how, how do you know he shot him in the head there at that location? Sure. So we've got some surveillance video from the alleyway from one of the homes. The back of the house is up against the alley and um, it shows the whole incident. It's grainy and it's in the upper right hand corner of the video. Like many of our cases, we, we end up with not the best surveillance video sometimes. Um, so we could, we could see what was going on. You can hear the crossbow, um, go off. You can hear the sound that it makes. Hmm. Uh, and then you could see the shadow of the victim run into the park. So he didn't die right away after he was shot in the head. Hmm. Uh, we know he was shot through the head because when the body was later found, he's got a, you know, the, the entry wound right under the right ear and the exit wound through his left ear. So it was almost a horizontal shot from ear to ear to the head. Hmm. Um, but right after, Adam shot Trenton. Trenton was not dead. And he immediately took off running into the park away from Adam. He ran about 188 feet total. Uh, there's a very large blood trail. At about the midpoint of that blood trail, there's a huge pool of blood with an arrow that was in it. And so we know that Adam pulled the arrow out of his own head hmm. and then stumbled a few more feet and ultimately collapsed and died. Gosh, and, and what did Adam do after that? So Adam, as soon as Trenton went running into the park, Adam simply walked back to the trunk of his car, put the crossbow in the trunk, shut the trunk, and um, reversed at high speed down the alley. And then he took off. He, we know that he dumped the crossbow in a canyon nearby because we later found the crossbow. And then he went back to his Airbnb and went to bed. Did he go and to Sacramento? What did he tell his family? Sure. So in, interestingly, on while he was driving back from City Heights to Escondido after he had just killed his brother, he didn't call 911, didn't call for help, didn't do anything like that, but did have a conversation with his mom via text message. And mom was being a typical mom. She's, how's Trenton doing? How does he look? You know, is he using drugs? Is everything okay? How was dinner? And um, Adam basically said, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. I think he was texting a friend about drugs. I just left. He went into a, a, he went with his friend into a park, I believe was the text message, basically kind of insinuating and setting up 
uh, maybe a drug deal gone wrong sort of story in his mom's mind. So that the last thing she remembers is that, oh, Trenton was in a park with a friend possibly texting about drugs or drug sales. Um, and he not once told his mom what had happened, that Trenton was had been shot in the head, nothing. He said, Trenton's fine. And then he said, you know, whatever happens, mom, you've always got me. Was one of the last messages he sent to his mom. Mm. Uh, and so he obviously Adam doesn't know about this video. Can you see that it is Adam or you know it because of the car arriving and based on his statements? Yeah. So when the police were the police get a 911 call, think about an hour, hour and a half later from a passerby who saw Trenton's body in the park and called 911. So the homicide team comes out and they see the blood trail that leads to this alley. And that's when they start going up and down the alley looking for video. And they did get this video. That was one of the first pieces of evidence that they obtained. And on the video, you can see this car driving down the alley. And you certainly can see Adam in the video. He he walks up and down the alleyway a few times. And so he comes closer to that camera where you can see his face. But at that point, they have no idea who he is. They just have a person in a car. And so what ended up happening is that he... The detectives called the father of Trenton, which was the victim that they had identified. And um, it was the father that said, you know, what do you have any indication of what car was there? And so the detective sergeant who was doing that notification to the parents was like, well, yeah, we do have a video that shows a car. You know, why are you asking? He said, well, my other son, Adam, was going down to San Diego to visit Trenton and he drives, you know, was it a white car that was on the video and the detective sergeant, you know, he'll tell you today that he normally doesn't release any information about cases like that. But he said, yeah, it's, there's a white car in the video, a white sedan. So the detective sergeant and the dad ended up conferring some more dad uh, ended up sending some photos of the car and they were able to identify it based on some unique stickers that it was in fact, Adam's car. Wow. So he had driven his car from Sacramento to San Diego yes. and those stickers tied it to Adam. Yeah, he had some bumper stickers and then he had a, a like a racing stripe that he had put on his car, but it was using blue painter's tape. Okay. Blue painter's tape. Um, and so there was tape from the hood all the way up the top of the car and then down the trunk lid. And so you can see that on the video and that helps identify it as his car. So tell us about, so this case ended up going to trial. Yes. And um, what were your major concerns going into this trial? How did you strategize? So I I think the major concern was answering the question of why um, and of intent. And so, as you know, Lori, we don't have to prove a motive, right? But it's sure helpful to have one. (laughs) And uh, it's definitely an aspect that helps you prove intent when you have a motive for why somebody committed the crime. And on this one, you know, part of the trial included me telling the jury that you're probably not going to hear the why. You're not going to know the why. And I don't have to prove that to you. And, um, you know, we dug deep in this case into who Adam was as a person, what was going on in his life leading up to this. And we were able to get a few things out of that. He had some writings that were in journals in his bedroom up in Sacramento and in his car that he drove down to San Diego. 
And it was line after line over the course of several pages of him listing his family members' names out and saying that they're racists, rapists, child molesters, just all these horrible things about his family members, just line after line on on lined white notebook paper. And Trenton was included in that. And Trenton was one of the family members that he said was, you know, all these bad things. And so there was clearly something going on in his mind at the time. And he he was having some problems at work. And his work manager actually testified at trial as to his character for violence. His roommates testified at trial as to his character for violence. So there were definitely some things going on. All was not well, which is what I I said at trial, but we don't have a definitive answer at the end of the day for exactly why Adam killed Trenton. And so that made the case very difficult. And and when you say those witnesses, those character witnesses, they testified for him saying he's not a violent person or did they testify on behalf of the prosecution? Yeah, they testified for the prosecution saying that he he did, in fact, have a character for violence, at least in the um, several month time period leading up to the murder. Gotcha. So I, it's on video. He's, he shot him. His car is there. What is the defense? So the defense was accident. Um, mm. So Adam, when he was arrested later up in Sacramento, told detectives that it was him in the alley with his brother, uh, that there was no argument, that he loves his brother, and that he had bought the crossbow as a birthday gift. And he was handing it to Trenton in the alley it accidentally went off and shot Trenton in the head. That is sounds actually like a pretty good defense if you don't have a motive, right? I mean, if I'd imagine, you know, a gun can accidentally go off a crossbow, I would assume can accidentally discharge. And and if you don't have a motive, that's a pretty darn good defense. What what would happen if if that defense was successful and it was just an accident? Is it a can you tell the listeners like what would that end up being? Sure. So if I mean if it was a pure accident and there was no not even basic negligence involved, then that would be a, a complete acquittal. Complete he not would, guilty. Yes, he would he would not be guilty of any crime if in fact it was completely an accident. Yeah. And then at, at, at worst, if it was an accident with negligence, then maybe an involuntary manslaughter, right? Correct. Which carries in California, uh, for those of you that don't know, it carries up to four years. That was uh, like Michael Jackson's doctor. He got four years in prison. That's the maximum versus first degree murder, 25 to life. So how when you're going into trial, you anticipate that defense because he he said it's an accident to the police. How do you go about uh, strategizing that for trial to counter that defense? Sure. So the first thing was um, I needed to learn a lot about crossbows um, (laughs) because I I needed to know how the weapon worked and Mm. how likely it would be that something like that could accidentally go off. So we um, we ended up finding a couple of stores here in San Diego County that sell crossbows. And we reached out to an owner of one of those stores out in Lakeside and um, met him and had him teach me about crossbows. Uh, we took him to a, a range here, a law enforcement range with the the crossbow so that we could shoot it and see how it works. And we measured the weight on the trigger to see how much force is required to pull the trigger. Interestingly, it's less than a firearm. So it's really? substantially easier to fire than a firearm. 
and it doesn't have any sort of kick or anything like that. It's, it's actually pretty um, gentle to fire when you're using it. Um, so I had to get up to speed on crossbows. I had no idea what a crossbow was before this. Right. I, I'm envisioning, you know, the centuries past with a wooden bow that you hold in one hand and you pull it back with the other or some sort of Katniss Everdeen situation. I mean, <laughs> I, I had no idea, but to kind of give you a, a visual that this particular type of bow, a crossbow, it's held like an assault rifle. It's held mm. um essentially just like a rifle, but it's got a, a bow attachment on the end instead of a barrel that a bullet would come out of. Um, so you hold it like a rifle, it's got a trigger, you shoot it like a rifle, has a safety, just like a gun. Uh, it just shoots these arrows instead of instead of bullets. So in- interesting, it's it's meant for hunting. It's a hunting tool for those mm-hmm. that, that do that. I will say that we do have a crossbow. You have a crossbow? We have a crossbow and I'm not going to get into all the details of the crossbow, but we have a crossbow. And what I will say about the crossbow to your point is there are multiple steps in order to load this thing mm. to, um, to make sure that it's working properly. There's like, it's like an eight step process to between the time that you have to, to load it, pull it back, turn on and off safety. And it's it's just as much of a deadly weapon, I agree, as as a rifle or any type of semi-automatic pistol. It is extremely deadly. And, you know, it's a heck of a birthday gift, but you would never like hand it to somebody, um, especially if you've, you know how to operate it, loaded. It's like you're not going to give a, a gun loaded to your friend as a gift right what's what was interesting about it too is that all those steps he had taken most of them up in sacramento before he left so he had to pull the strings back which takes 150 pounds of force but it's reduced down to half of that so 75 pounds using this pulling device he had to pull all of those strings back and then he loaded a bolt or an arrow in and the bolt has to touch a plate in the back of the weapon in order to even be able to take the safety off and I think the most interesting thing is he took the training tips off of the bolts and he he bought hunting arrowheads. They're metal bladed arrowheads meant for hunting large game animals. And he replaced the arrowheads with or the training tips with those arrowheads. So it, the weapon was primed to kill. That's a lot of premeditation. Yes. 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 That's that, that that's pretty darn good evidence too. So you walked through with the jury all of the steps that you'd have to take to load it, to replace the the arrows, everything like that. Yeah, we had um, our expert came in and testified, and um, but beforehand we went out to his shop. He's got a little a little range where you can shoot crossbows, and um, we made a video. We took our IT folks out there, our TSS folks, and we were able to film him with the murder weapon, manipulating it and showing everyone how all the steps that are needed to load it and fire it. And so we were able to play that at trial. Wow. That's, that's a darn good piece of evidence, but I feel like that can all be countered if the defendant decides to testify and the jury believes him that, look, I would never want to hurt my brother. This was a pure accident. Yeah. Maybe I loaded it and everything like that. Did the defendant testify in this case? He did. He did. And that's exactly what he said was, Hmm. you know, I love my brother. I would never do something like this. And it was an accident. And I just, 
I had it loaded because I wanted to go into this park and shoot it with him after I gave it to him as a gift. Um, and, you know, Adam at trial, he's young. He looks very young. Um, right. He, he certainly uh, looks to be some, a sympathetic person when he's on the stand. Um, and so after his direct testimony, yeah, it was sounded like, you know, it could be plausible. And so it was definitely when I'm sitting there, you know, listening to it, but I hadn't cross-examined him yet. And I knew from what was in his phone and what he had said in previous interviews that he was not telling the truth. Mm. And, and so that's where things went a little sideways for him. So what, what did you do? How did, how did that cross-examination go, the defendant and his seemingly plausible story? Right. So, you know, the cross is something that I prepared for uh, extensively. And I started with his phone, his cell phone download. I think it was, gosh, probably six to 7,000 pages long of text messages. But, you know, the district attorney investigator that worked on it with me, we both felt really strongly that we needed to get inside what was going on with him. And we went through and we just cataloged and we bookmarked everything into categories. Um, his conversations he had with his mom, with his dad. And so that was, we had that ready to go, depending on what he was saying. But, but really what we were focusing on was every time that he had lied. And in the cross-examination, we went through every text message where he had lied to his mom. He had a history of running away and not telling his parents what he was doing, lying to his parents about what he was doing. And so we, we went through every one of those lies. And I think ultimately he admitted maybe two to three dozen times to lying. Wow. Um, his testimony at trial about how the crossbow had accidentally fired it was different from his interview with police. The interview with police was video recorded and he demonstrated how he was holding the crossbow or how he claims he was holding the crossbow at the time. And the way that he demonstrated that in court was different. Mm. And so I was able to play those clips for the jury and uh, he ended up admitted to, admitting to lying. So really it was getting him to admit to lying as many times as possible to discredit his testimony. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, so we know the jury convicted him, but they convicted him of a first degree murder. They did. And, and you argued, even though we don't have the definitive motive, we don't know exactly why that's only between Adam and Trenton. Uh, they were still able to return a first degree murder. They were. Yeah. I think, you know, once he was cross-examined and once you look at the other evidence involved, especially his conduct after the murder. So a loving, caring brother who just accidentally killed his sibling is not going to just abandon him, run away, not call for help and really care less about what happened to him and allow him to bleed out and die in a park for five to 10 minutes, which is what the ME says happened. So because he was shot to the head at, um, in the location that he was, it didn't sever any major arteries, only secondary arteries. So he actually bled out for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And so all of that evidence came in. And I think his conduct afterwards was really probative of what his intent was and that he intended to kill his brother. Um, we, we did use lying in wait theory and um, premeditation, uh, but I really think the case came down to intent. If the jury found that he intended to kill his brother, then they're going to find premeditation and lying in wait based on the surveillance video. So I, I think that's what it really came down to. And, and they clearly, through their verdict, believe that he intended to kill his brother. Hmm. Well, excellent job. That is a it's it's an unusual case, right, because we don't typically see that type of weapon. But it's also unusual because 
you know, you typically don't see a brother turning on a brother. And that's really tragic in that, in that sense for the family and for the community um, and for our victims. So thank you so much for the work that you did on this case. Yes, it was, it was terrible for the family. And it, it was just, I, I think anyone who is a parent or part of a close-knit family couldn't imagine going through something like this. And the family supported Adam. So they were there for the trial in support of him. They testified on his behalf as to his character. And, um, you know, it's it's a mom and a dad who are just heartbroken down to their core. So it's very, very, very sad, tragic occurrence for that family. Yeah, it's pretty tragic. We have to say typically do see that when it's a sibling and sibling murder. The You know, of course, the parents want to stand by their their one remaining uh, child so wow that's uh that's a that's a tough case i i i'm surprised uh i'm not surprised <laughs> i'm i'm extremely proud of the work that you did it you went up against a very good prominent experienced high-priced lawyer uh who i'm sure did an excellent job and and it sounds like everything that you did to prepare for this case, learning about crossbows, the cross-examination, uh, really achieved justice in this case. So thank you for your work. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Jorge. And of course, as always, I had a, a whole team around me. Um, shout out to District Attorney Investigator Dante Kendricks from my division, who just was with me night and day, you know, getting through that cell phone download and through the testimony. And um, so really appreciate his efforts and everyone else here in Superior Court. Nice. But we are not done yet. We always want to shift gears and end it on a light note with a little game called Crime or Fiction, where there are two real laws, one fake. And I asked my panel which one they think is the fake. Uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. These are three random laws, uh, no theme to it. So A, in Indiana, it's illegal to sniff model glue with the intent to cause a condition of euphoria. B, in New Hampshire, it's illegal to hypnotize a person with the intent for that person to commit a crime. And C, in Texas, it's illegal to sell or offer to sell your organs. Two are real, one is fake, and I will have Christina go first. So I'm picking the real ones or the... You're picking the one fake one. Which one do you think is the fake? I don't think it's B. Because I think if you hypnotize a person with the intent for them to go commit a crime, you're pretty much guilty of that crime as well. Um, I think, let's see, I'm going to go with the Texas one being fake. Texas, it's illegal to sell or offer to sell your organs. Yes. All right. You think, you think you could sell anything goes in Texas. Anything goes in Texas. <laughs> do, they, do they have laws there? I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lori, what are your thoughts? I don't know. This one's hard. It's, it's because I haven't done these in a long time, Jorge. <laughs> You're out of practice. Out of practice. I'm going to go with the first one as the fake. A, in Indiana, it's illegal to sniff model glue. Hmm. Uh, okay, well, that means you both think B, in New Hampshire, it's illegal to hypnotize a person with the intent for that person to commit a crime. You both think that one is real, and this one is the fake. I made it up. I made it up. Uh, you know what? I To be fair... I did not scour the New Hampshire criminal code to see if it is a law. I should look at that. (laughs) So you might, you might've been, you might've won anyways, but uh, I just made it up. I just thought it, it probably is a crime somewhere. I should look it up, but that means a 
it is illegal to sniff model glue specifically along with other substances with the intent to cause a condition of euphoria it also lists some some other conditions excitement exhilaration intoxication but it's with that in, intent so so Lori, you can sniff glue without the intent of causing that no thing i'm trying to keep my brain cells intact and that means in C, in Texas, it is illegal to sell or even to offer to sell any of your organs. That's Texas Penal Code Section 48.02B. So, Christina, if you had plans to go make a little extra money in Texas, you cannot. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christina, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and sharing with our listeners this uh, amazing trial that you did. And I, I'm glad that uh, you were on it. and. It sounds like you really uh, brought justice to this case. And uh, thank you for your dedication to the community. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jorge. It was have you, Christina. And it was lovely to see you, Jorge, as always. And I hope we can get to do more in the coming months. Yes. And maybe we'll do it one every six months. No other podcast does that. So we'll be <laughs> unique in that way. <laughs> Um, thank you to all of our listeners out there. Remember to check us out on social media. I'll put a link in the show notes. And with that, this is the Crime News Insider Podcast. on this podcast are solely of the speakers and do not reflect the views of the Deputy DA Association nor the District Attorney. Questions and comments can be sent to crimenewsinsider at gmail.com. Please leave a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at San Diego DDAs. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Well,